Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello. Welcome to Parenting with a Punch show. Your host, Amanda Hool, founder and creator of Parenting with a Punch, your parenting strategist, communications, and relationship specialist. Please visit my website, parentingwithapunch.com, to learn about all the ways that you can work with me. Today, I have a special guest, Tanya Millette, who is a special education advocate and parent consult consultant located in the greater Boston area. So please welcome our guest, Tanya. Hi, Tanya. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's so great to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yes. So I'm going to show on. So first and foremost, okay, let um, viewers know how they can reach you if they are interested in an advocate for their family. Sure. You can check out my Facebook page. It's um, if you look for Facebook.com, Tanya Millette, Special Education Advocate, you should find me. And then uh, my website as well. Awesome. All right, there we go. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so, all right, where do we start? So your background, tell me, you were a preschool teacher, correct? That's right. Well, that was just one of the many hats that I wore. Um, I have taught preschool in a Head Start setting, in a public school setting, and I've done um, special education preschool assessments for kids like finishing EI and to determine their eligibility. Awesome. Very cool. Cool. Um, your preschool work, were you in the greater Boston area or? I was. I was in a Head Start Center, multiple Head Start Centers in Boston. And then I was in Boston Public Schools and um, the Early Steps Preschool Program, which is in Watertown. Oh, awesome. So and I've been around like, around here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, how did you like that, the, the preschools around here? Um. Well, they're wildly different depending on which town you're in and which program you're in. Um, I love the age, though. I think the age is so fun and there's yeah. so much so many things happening at that age. Right. Now, did you see? So I hail from um, Brooklyn, New York, where I worked in the um, private preschools mainly. But um, 
I, when I moved back to the area about four years ago with a lot of back and forth, I really, I noticed that the preschools are, uh, they just run so much differently than what I experienced in New York. So for instance, we had um, children that received services through the state um, for, uh, they had to fall uh, 30% or below in two of the developmental domains, which was the social emotional development. And then oftentimes they would get PT or PT. Um, oh, Jen is here. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they would get those services through the state. And most of the time the kids would be um, showing signs of like behavioral difficulties. So they would have us come in to um the preschool and you know pretty much i ended up working with the classroom as a whole because the kids you're there and they want you to be a part of their world um and you sort of just like step in you know during circle time or um you know during transitions with the kiddos might have some difficulty but anyways um here when i started to reach out to some of the preschool directors and such they weren't like super open to, I guess, having somebody in the preschool. And I often heard from so many parents that they felt lost and the children would end up getting kicked out. Um, and then they sort of like almost had nowhere to go. <laughs> right. So I think it really depends if it's a public school preschool here or a yeah. private preschool right. setting. Mm -hmm. uh, public schools usually have to keep everybody. <laughs> yes, this is true. You're very right. <laughs> Which, you know, is a surprise to some people. But <laughs> there, I've definitely seen kids and know of kids who've been kicked out of the private schools, um, which is kind of hard. When I was doing the assessment piece in Watertown, I was that's actually what I was doing. I was going into the private preschools and doing the assessment to see if they qualified for special ed in the public school setting. And so many of the of the directors and teachers I met were saying, we need help. We don't have the support. We don't have the training to work with children with these needs. Right, yeah. I, so the kids that would end up having to get kicked out, were they, um, were they already diagnosed? Or, well, I'm assuming no, because that's tricky too at that age. <laughs> right, right. So some of them were in the process. Some of them, the, the preschool had put in an evaluation with the public school setting. Um, kind of all over the place. Right, okay. Now, were they most often um, children on the spectrum or did it sort, did it vary? I saw pretty much everything. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of children on the spectrum for sure. Um, a lot of like just language-based difficulties, yes. which um, obviously leads to behavior if you can't really express yourself well or you can't understand. Um, you know, for the most part, those are the big things. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, um, and that's the thing too, is I, I think, especially out here is what I'm seeing is we sort of have this, um, culture where, you know, with the autism diagnosis, we get services, right? We have the ABA. Yeah. Um, and for children that just struggle with social emotional development, it seems that they kind of get, you know, thrown, <laughs> thrown in the mix, I guess, if you will, because, there's just, well, one, there's no services really for them unless parents sort of reach out or they or sorry, reach out privately or they get early intervention, which stops at three. Right. And I think this social emotional piece is really important, but I don't think a lot of teachers do it, especially beyond the preschool years. 
It's just right. not happening in our schools. Right. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for joining. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. I um, And I have come across a lot, or it seems to be a few more programs in the Boston area where they seem to be doing more professional development with the teachers and it, what's your what's been your experience with that or especially right now when you're working with families as an advocate um well i'll speak to it on two fronts uh, as a yeah. teacher yes we had professional development around social emotional learning and how to support kids with social emotional differences and, and it was nice in theory but i i wasn't supported to implement it as a teacher Right. So I had all this really nice training and this very nice curriculum and all of these nice strategies, but that didn't help me with what was in front of me. I needed more support in the classroom. Um, as an right. advocate right now, social, emotional, I'm seeing people, families struggle with it all the way through the middle school and high school years. People yeah. are saying, you know, my eighth grader doesn't have friends or my fifth grader who has a disability has to miss recess and then she she's not connecting socially with her peers. So I'm seeing it all the way through and not just at the preschool kindergarten level. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really breaks my heart because I hear that a lot too from, from parents, um, especially in the middle school and even like in fifth grade where their kids um, are, well one, their recess is getting taken away, which I'm sure you can probably agree that that doesn't really help the situation. No, it just exacerbates it. <laughs> I I recently just came across um, Transcendental Meditation. Yep. Um, I took a workshop um, where I graduated. It's not an official uh, certification, but the, um, the woman who led it, she works with... Um, you know, children in other countries and she's seen such like a huge difference. And I actually just connected with somebody else um, who is local in the Boston area who created a um, meditation program for both teachers and for schools nice. like in the public school. And I, I so wish that we would get more on that uh, page and be able to implement that more in our schools because the detention and the suspension, it's its not helping. It's not helping our kids, especially the ones that struggle with that social piece. <laughs> right. And they can't connect necessarily like I'm I'm suspended today for two days to like whatever it was that they did. Most of the kids really can't connect it. Right. Um, I, I totally when, agree. <laughs> when I was teaching, I did a children's yoga um, training myself and yeah. I brought yoga into the classroom. And it made such a huge difference. I only wish that I could have done more of it. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, see, I um, I was actually, I lived back in Brooklyn last year. As I mentioned, it's been a lot of back and forth. <laughs> and I was working at a preschool um, as the lead special education teacher. And the director sort of brought me on because of my background um, yep. in special education and the behavioral piece, because we had a lot of kiddos that were struggling with the behavioral. And um, I, the, the mornings I would, um, we would switch off with one of the other teachers. So we would, um, you know, one of us would do the morning circle and sort of like start off the day anyway. So we would switch every other and every morning I would in, implement yoga and like some stretching. Yay. The kids absolutely loved it. Like they learning some of the moves, like just, you know, downward dog and, 
um, some of like the cat, cat and cow. And I, it's just, it was so cute to see them like feel like good about doing that. And they, and they felt confident too, when they like were able to do a pose or, you know, sort of like teaching them. And I will say that it would definitely carry over into the day, depending on obviously, you know, some of the kids that may have struggled a little bit more, but yeah. Really implementing like that movement piece into it. I like even throughout the day, like, you know, let's let's stop and do 10 jumping jacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both of my daughters went to a preschool where the yoga was taught regularly as well. And they they've both carried it with them. Like even the breath work. You know, my oldest is seven, and so she can step back and say, Okay, I need to take some breaths. And she knows to use like different breaths to fire up her energy when she needs more energy. And um she knows to use like calming breaths or slower breaths when she needs to relax and go to sleep at night. Wow. And it's just, it's really nice to see. That is amazing. I, I wish it was more widespread. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I feel like as a culture, we're, we're leading more in that direction, but it's still, we still have a way to go <laughs> Yeah, in time, <laughs> like anything, but, um, but so, but still. So, tell us more about um, your the special education advocate. Um, you had said that you sort of work with families all over, but do families is it because they're the children aren't getting the services in the school? They're not following through, which I know because I've worked in the school. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, so it ends up being a whole range of things. Some people are just truly overwhelmed with all of the special education, like the whole process, right? There's, it's yes. document heavy. There's a lot of jargon and lingo and abbreviations. And so honestly, some pe people just need help looking through the IEP, looking through evaluations and figuring out what is this? Does this make sense? Does this really reflect who my child is? I don't even understand this. Um, so some people need help with that. Some people really have tried with the school and they've maybe gone through a couple of rounds of IEP meetings themselves. But in the end, their kid isn't their child's not making progress or they're not really sure what else their child could be getting. Right. So it ends up being a couple of different things. And yeah, in some cases, it's, well, the IEP looks really good and I'm happy with it. But the school is not actually delivering on their piece of it. Right. So it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, No, I totally agree. I, I have several um, kids all over Massachusetts and um, and it's tough because obviously some, you know, don't have the finances to be able to support it too, which obviously brings a whole other element. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and even just, I go in and I do um, observations um, and, you know, look over the IPs and make sure that things are being implemented. And it's so hard because a lot of the times, a lot of the schools aren't, they don't, they don't even have the resources regardless of what the IEP says. It's so hard. It is hard. And I, that's the number one thing is like, we don't have the resources. We don't have the resources. I hear that all the time in my work and it's hard, you know, and trying, legally, to say. right. And legally they have to, but, right. it's like, what? but where does it come from? Who, who pays for it? You know, how does it get, like, how does it get implemented in reality? It's nice if it's on paper, but what does it look like? Right. Yep. Oh man. Well, I, I tell you, I, I really commend you on, on, on doing that work because it is so, so important for families to feel like they have a voice and 
to, to feel heard and, and to be able to be educated about all the lingo because that can be tough too. Right. Um, um, the lingo and also like what your rights are as a parent. Right. What, what you can actually ask for and what you have to say no to. Like that's actually not okay. And the other thing I tell parents all the time is I'm here to help you help your kid have this like a, a really good education for him. But I'm also here to help you have a better relationship with the school district. Right. Because, yeah, we're going to have this problem right now with the IEP. Um, and and that like we're going to make that better, hopefully, in our work together. But you, the parent, are going to have this relationship with the school district for 10 more years, 12 more years, depending on the age of your kiddo. So I don't I don't mind going into the school districts and really speaking strongly on behalf of the parents so that some of their relationship can be, you know, preserved and kept intact because they do have to have a good working relationship. No, I agree. And and it can be hard because I think a lot of the times, you know, some parents will would naturally they get angry and they get upset and having somebody that can help, you know, mediate that and really be like the voice for them, because, you know, we know, we know, we know the background, we know, right. you know, exactly. what we're talking about their rights. And I often see too, that, you know, when, when the principals and some of the directors are in there, they're like blown away because they, <laughs> a lot of times they don't even actually know. Yeah, That's unfortunately true as well. Um, <laughs> For me, it really shifted. I started volunteering as a special ed surrogate parent. So I work with kids in state care and I do all the parenting part of their like educational decisions for them. So I decide like on school placements and I go to the parent teacher conferences and all that. But when I started sitting there as a parent with a background in special ed, I was completely overwhelmed. And I was like, this is something's wrong here because my background is in special ed. I have teaching experience. I have like years of experience doing this and to right. hear as a parent and hear what they're saying about this child that, you know, isn't even mine, but I have to act like he is. I'm overwhelmed right. and I'm at my breaking point. Yes. And that really made a switch in my mind. Like, Oh, I have to use my skills here to help parents and I have to make this process better for parents. Yes. Oh, I, I agree. I love it. It's true. And I can, I can totally feel it from you as well. Like when you're working with the families, I think it really takes a special person to be able to, you know, reach, reach the children, reach the families and really be able to like have them feel comfortable and be passionate. I mean, I have families that, you know, that I will get emotional with sometimes because hearing some of the things that they tell you and then sort of like, sitting down and and just talking about some of the things that they've gone through over the past week with behaviors and such, like it's hard. You have to be, you know, empathetic. You have to be. (laughs) That's true. Some of the, some of those families are really struggling, especially with behavior. Yeah. And that, that carries home. I always share a story of um, when I was teaching in the classroom in Boston, one of the families begged me to come home and do the bedtime routine with the child because it was such a such a struggle for them and it was so you know it went on for so long every single night and it was almost like traumatic for the family to put the child to bed Mm -hmm. and you know I wasn't really set up as a classic teacher to go into the family's home so we shared some strategies and right um, 
I put together a plan for them to try to use at home, but I, I wasn't quite set up to go to their house. So. Well, I, I think I'm assuming it was a public school, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed that too. Well, I mean, there's the, uh, the rules, right? The. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, now you're not in the schools anymore. <laughs> exactly. No, well, not in that capacity. Right. I'm in right. there for a meeting and to say, hi, we got to do it this way. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for everything that you do. You are seriously awesome. So I want to jump into, we kind of already talked about it, but I just want to ask you a few questions. Um, the first one being, so I we talked about punishment and sort of like getting away from the uh, the negative reinforcement. So you're completely pro, you know, positive reinforcement and, and trying to get rid of behavior with replacing or sort of like focusing on the positive? Yes, absolutely. Um, both personally and professionally. <laughs> and it, um, whoops, I lost my headphones. Sorry about that. Um, yes, I find that uh, the number one thing is, is consistency. So with changing a behavior or reinforcing a behavior, you really have to decide what you're targeting. You can't target 50 behaviors at one time. Just right. pick one, go with it. And, um, you know, whatever it is, whether you're replacing a behavior or you're teaching, you're teaching another strategy to the child, um, just you have to stick with it. It's not going to be like a three, three minute fix. Right. Or an overnight fix. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I most parents, if they've been dealing with this for years on end, let's say the child is eight or ten, then it's going to take longer because, uh, you know, the, the, it's been years of of undoing. You have to undo all of the the years of right. Well, it's been. years for that child to build that behavior to this level. It's not going to go away. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I understand and I feel where parents are coming from and, and they not being able to comprehend this. But I mean, part of the work that I'm trying to put out into the world and you as an advocate is to try and get parents to comprehend that if they put in the work early, that they're not going to struggle as much when they're older. Like it, that, it, that it's just so important to be conscious of that. Yes, so much of uh, our daughter's toddler and preschool years were, that's how I explained it to my husband. I'm like, yes, I know it's a ton of work now. Yes. I'm sorry that it's so much work. I'm tired too, but it's gonna be better later. <laughs> there you go. Now, how old are your girls now? They're five and seven. See, I, I love it. I mean, you you put in the work and, and you're now seeing it. They're reaping the benefits, right? Yes. For the most part. I mean, everyone yeah. has to risk their children and they're not machines. So, of course. Right. <laughs> and we don't want them to be machines. Right. So, you know, no one's perfect, but we just kind of go back to it and try again and try again. <laughs> yeah. There you go. See? That, and that, that that's the important piece that I think um, a lot of parents, you know, again, not purposefully, but they just don't really seem to catch on to that. Right, that, exactly. Uh, what's easier in the short term versus what's good in the long term, you know? It's hard to see, I guess, when you're in the moment. That's true. Yeah. Um, so owning your energy in parenting, how would you feel? I mean, you're a yogi, so I, I'm sure you can <laughs> have a few things to say about that. It's so funny because my daughters now are at the point where they're like, Mom, you need to go to yoga. Oh, 
you're like, mom, you're grouchy or you're, you seem really tired. You should go to yoga. I love it. Um, and they're right. I mean, really, when, when they're saying that, like, I haven't been in a while or I haven't been practicing like self-care as well as I should have. Um, and they can they can pick up on it. I'm I'm not good if I'm not taking care of myself. You know, I think the saying is you can't pour from an empty cup. So, yep. and I'm definitely aware, like, if I'm tired or if I am more snappy, um, I get it back. I get it all back. And I either get it back in that moment or I get it back later where I hear them talking to each other or I hear them talking to my husband and I I hear myself at my like worst moment and I'm like, oh no. Thank you for being so real with like I'm sorry, saying, I'm not today. Because I you know, again the same thing. I think it's just hard for parents that you know, they beat themselves up, which, which I get, you know, and right. like I said, you're tired and it's hard to, in that moment, sort of, you know, especially when you're feeling, feeling frustrated to not want to react or start yelling, but it is hard. It is hard when you're in the moment and there's so much happening and whatever else has happened, like before that interaction with your kids, like maybe 10,000 other interactions with your kids or your boss yelled at you or you got in a car accident, whatever happened to you. But it's, it's, it is super hard to take that breath. Right. Count to 10, whatever your strategy is for not yelling at your kids in that moment. (laughs) Yep. No, absolutely. But you, you've, you notice the difference. You, you can feel it and you, and you see it in the kids when you're able to recognize it. I sure do. (laughs) They make it very obvious. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And lastly, so we sort of touched upon it um, in the beginning too, about like the social emotional development and the communication um, and obviously being a special education advocate and working with the families with um, the education piece, what are your thoughts in terms of um, the social emotional development being sort of like the core, um, the core piece to like even getting to the the academic part? Like if a child is not. Yeah, I agree. The social emotion piece is huge, especially the younger the child. I mean, I think there's kids are going to need social emotional support all throughout childhood, really. Um, But I think really, really emphasizing it in the preschool years, in the uh, kindergarten year, the first like the early elementary years, really giving kids skills and not just like we have to move beyond. I feel happy and I feel sad. Like that's nice and that's a good start for your like for a three year old. Right. But I feel like we need to say, okay, well when I feel happy, I feel like this. How does how does it feel in my body? When right. I feel sad, how does that feel? And but what can I do about it? Because some right. kids get stuck. Yes. I feel sad or I feel angry, and then that's it. That's their whole day. And they can't go beyond it. Right. And so it's really like what and, and for kids to learn to like what makes me happy? What makes me sad? What and it's not so it's not just labeling the emotions that's a good start, but we have right. so much more to do than that. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. I mean, when when children are I mean, I see this a lot too with some of the older um kids, you know, in like fifth grade and older, um, is really just like finding a way to to talk with the kids or like ask the right questions, I think can be hard. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's like you have to get to their level, you know. Right. 
You know, yeah. I, I, one of the students I know, he really does his best talking when he's playing basketball. So, hey, you know what? Like, because he's kind of distracted with the object of throwing the ball into the hoop or whatever. Um, and if you can get out there with a basketball with him, he's going to pour his heart out to you. There you he's going to tell you all kinds of all the internal stuff that's not so obvious. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's really important as parents. And even if it's, you know, even if it's like something super small um, to find something that they know that their child is into and really like hone in on that and use that as an opportunity to reach your child. So you are able to sort of like pull out more information. So they're not struggling, you know, on a day to day basis, but just being aware of that, that piece, I think, is is something that, um, or at least I know I'm, you know, work on with my families and trying to recognize that. Right. And then with the older kids, I'm seeing a lot of anxiety, like the middle school set, the high school set right now. My families are reaching out to me with a lot of anxiety, kids with anxiety. Yes. Um, whether that's due to sort of the changing social scene or it's due to, you know, the increased academic expectations as kids yes. get older. Whatever it is, the kids are feeling really, really stressed out, really, really worried to the point where it's impacting all of the other areas of their life. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I, anxiety has, um, and I'm somebody that struggled, you know, with anxiety at one point. And once I really started to, you know, do yoga and the meditation and, yeah. you know, and as an adult, obviously, you know, being older and going through it over the years, um, I, I was able to recognize that, but I, I think it's a lot of times too, parents don't realize, you know, they're emitting that anxiety onto their children when if you <laughs> sort of like take a step back and like, you know, I, I, I just, I see a lot of like too many questions, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, especially in the older years. So children feel like they can come and talk with you. Um, and, and relating to them, I think is a huge piece too. And sort of just like letting them know, you know, you, you might've had a bad day at school and I'm sorry, you know, and that sucks. Like you, maybe you had a fight with a friend or maybe you felt left out and sort of just like recognizing that they went through that experience. Right. And then that kind of like gives them the window to open up about it if they want to, as opposed to like forcing them to come out and talk about it. I would agree. And I think the other pieces as an adult or as a parent sharing your own mess ups and saying, yes. I had a bad day too. And right. you know, this didn't work for me or whatever. And then talking about what you're going to do differently next time, maybe, or how yeah. you resolved your problem. Cause they need to see like, they also need models of effective yes. feeling of, of coping. Yes. yes. The modeling is a huge, huge part. Yes. You have to be able to be open and honest about your own life experiences. And then you, you know, you're letting them know, Oh, well, this is how mom handled this situation. You know, I might've gotten mad at dad for something, but then we talked about it and we were able to, you know, come together and figure out what we can do next time to communicate better. So 150% modeling for them is like vital. <laughs> right. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. Well, I, it was such a pleasure speaking with you today. I it was so, nice to talk to you too. Thanks for having me. Yes. I so appreciate you coming on and um, I look forward to getting to know you more and maybe even 
collaborating with something in the near future. I'm all about collaboration for 2018. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I like it. And um, for our viewers that are catching us live and the replay, be sure to visit um, Tanya's, let me get that back in here, Tanya's info and um, reach her if you are looking for a special education advocate. It doesn't want to pop up again, <laughs> unfortunately. But you can find Tanya Millett on um, Facebook, correct? They can find you yeah, there. I'm on Facebook. If you just use Tanya Millett, special education advocate, you should be able, to, in the search bar on Facebook, you should be able to get to me. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on Parenting with a Punch show today. It was a pleasure. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today on Monday. Next week, I'm going to have a local duo doula. So please don't miss uh, our episode next week at 10 a.m. And as always, follow us here. Uh, download Parenting with a Punch podcast to catch the replay and listen while you're on your drive. And parentingwithapunch.com to learn all the ways you can work with me. Keep asking for more. Have a beautiful day, everybody. See you next week.